sold as new, state media reported. Right? Footage broadcast by state-owned Vietnam Television (VTV) this week showed dozens of large bags containing the used contraceptives scattered across the floor of a warehouse in the southern province of Binh Duong. Police said the bags weighed more than 360 kilograms, which is 794 pounds, equivalent to 345,000 kadams, according to VTV. The owner of the warehouse said they had received a monthly input of used condoms. Jesus, used condoms from an unknown person. State newspaper Tuatre reported. A woman detained during the bus told police that the used prophylactics were first boiled in water, then dried and reshaped on a wooden phallus, before being repackaged and resold. Hey, I mean, she got arrested for this, but you got to respect someone's hustle that they would resort to this if this was the best way that they could make money. Like. It's just crazy what people would do. VTV said it was not clear how many of the recycled condoms had already been sold. The detained woman said she had received seventeen cents for every kilogram of recycled condoms she produced. Neither she nor the owner of the warehouse were available for comment. Just crazy. Palantir expected to be valued at nearly twenty-two billion dollars in trading debut. Palantir Technologies Incorporated is expected to fetch a lofty valuation in its transition to a public company, despite an unusually aggressive governance structure, and the latest sign of an investor's voracious appetite for new shares. The data mining software specialist is issuing the traditional IPO route and going public through a direct listing, in which a company floats its existing shares on a public exchange and lists the market determine the price. Ahead of a debut planned for September 30th, Palantir's bankers have told investors the shares could start trading around $10 a piece, according to people familiar with the matter. That equates to a market valuation of nearly. Twenty-two billion dollars on a fully diluted basis. In the private markets over the past year, Palantir stock has trended higher. The volume-weighted average price in August was seven dollars and thirty-one cents, and in September, nine dollars and seventeen cents. Those average prices are likely to help determine Palantir's reference price, the guidepost to where the stock could open in a direct listing. The stock exchange publishes the price after looking at recent private market transactions and consulting with the company's financial advisors. There is no guarantee Palantir shares will start trading at the expected level, and even if they do, that they will stay that high for that long. The expectation of an elevated market capitalization for Palantir is the latest sign of the unlikely surge in the IPO market, as companies scramble to issue their shares and investors gobble them up. Amid a struggling economy, the IPO market is running at a record pace thanks in part to surging stock prices, particularly those of technology companies. Palantir makes software used by numerous government agencies, including tools to help track terrorism suspects, as well as businesses to help sort and analyze data. 
The strong demand for the money-losing company's stock is all the more remarkable given that its founders have put in place one of the most aggressive governance structures ever seen. The shares of Panther's three co-founders, billionaire investor Peter Thiel, Chief Executive Alex Karp, and President Stephen Cohen, are structured so they can become more potent as the men sell down their stakes, according to securities filings. Through a unique feature of the voting structure, Mr. Cohen, for example, could still effectively control the company by owning just 0.5% of the shares. Palantir also has an unusually long list of deals between the company and its executives, which are known as related party transactions and tend to make good governance advocates groan. Palantir lent $25.9 million in 2016 to Mr. Cohen, who repaid most of the debt in August using some of his shares. Company loans to top executives aren't permitted for public companies. Palantir's voting structure represents a new frontier in the push by startup founders in recent years to maintain control after they flip to public ownership, even as, in many cases, they give themselves the option to reap windfalls from selling the most of their shares. Palantir's structure takes it to another level with concentrating power with the founders, said Anita Dorit, Associate Program Director at the Interfaith Center on Corporate Responsibility. The group has criticized some of Palantir's work with the U.S. government agencies involved with deportations, among other concerns. Neither Palantir nor the founders had a comment on the company's governance. Investors have become more wary of voting structures that give founders outside control, particularly after the high-profile botched initial public offering last year of WeWork. It fell apart largely because of his co-founder and then-CEO, Adam Newman's outsized control and the hundreds of millions of dollars he reaped from selling his shares in other transactions with the company. But the risk appetites have shifted, and investors now appear willing to overlook corporate governance concerns and erase again to hot stocks as the new issue market is booming. This year is shaping up to be one of the busiest years for IPOs on record, as investors leap at opportunities to invest in fast-growing technology upstarts, Issuers had taken in $95 billion from U.S.-listed IPOs through the end of Wednesday, exceeding the $84 billion raised at this point in 2000, the previous record year, according to Dealogic. Newly public shares in many cases are soaring, rising an average of 22% on their first day of trading. That is the best average first-day performance since the tech boom. In the most recent example, data warehousing company Snowflake Incorporated's shares more than doubled in their first day of trading despite being priced well above the targeted range. In a filing, Olive Garden is losing hundreds of thousands of dollars every week from just one location in New York City because of the C-word pandemic. The Times Square Olive Garden typically brings in $15 million a year, but now it's losing $300,000 a week. That's because of state restrictions on indoor dining, said Jin Lee, Gene Lee, the CEO of Olive Garden's parent company, Darden Restaurants, on a Thursday call to investors. We start every single week $300,000 in the hole 
from a comp store basis, Lee said about the Times Square location. In fact, he said that location alone is costing the chain 50 basis points in comps. That's our best restaurant in the Olive Garden system, he said. We do we do over fifteen million dollars there, and now we're doing you know two thousand five hundred dollars a day. On Thursday, Darden Restaurants reported that Olive Garden's same restaurant sales were down twenty eight point two percent. The Olive Garden locations that performed better during the quarter were restaurants that were allowed to offer indoor dining. Lee said. Overall, capacity restrictions continue to limit their top-line sales, particularly in key high-volume markets like California and New Jersey, where dining rooms were closed for the majority of the quarter. Lee said. In fact, restaurants that had some level of dining room capacity for the entire quarter averaged more than seventy-five thousand dollars in weekly sales, retaining nearly eighty percent of their last year's sales. Olive Garden isn't the only restaurant to be negatively impacted by capacity restrictions on indoor dining. Earlier this week, a study from the New York City Hospitality Alliance found that 87% of restaurants, bars, and nightclubs in New York City were unable to pay their full rent in August. Even before the pandemic, when operating at 100% occupancy. These small businesses were struggling to stay open. Andrew Ridgey, the New York City Hospitality Alliance executive director, said in a statement, "Now we're seeing widespread closures. Approximately one hundred and fifty thousand industry workers are still out of their jobs, and the overwhelming majority of these remaining small businesses can't afford to pay rent." Ridgey added, "However." Restaurants in the city, including the Times Square Olive Garden, will be allowed to reopen for indoor dining at 25% capacity starting on September 30th. Now I gotta say, that is so late. They are losing so much money. All these restaurants are losing so much money. Like there's no recovering from this, right? Like for example, let's use Olive Garden that we're talking about right now. That is a massive. Massive slap to the face to the point where they're getting their cheeks clapped by their state government. It's just crazy. Like they cannot recover from this. Like because I mean, luckily Olive Garden is a massive corporation, and I got to be honest, I love Olive Garden. I love their bread. Their bread is amazing. Their Alfredo chicken pasta is amazing. I love it. Right, but the thing is. Think about the mom and pop restaurants. Think about the like really, like five star restaurants that are in New York City, which there's plenty of them, right? But they're all down. All these restaurants are down. All these people are not making any money. They're not paying their rent. They can't pay their rent, which means also the landowners are losing a lot of money. So there's so many different people and all these different steps that are just basically screwed. Right, like this is crazy to me, just absolutely crazy. Like, how can you damage people's lives financially to this extent, and think that oh, it'll get better if we only open it a quarter of the way, right? Like that doesn't even make any sense, right? 
I mean, especially in New York City, there's probably not even going to be enough people to even get put into there because there's so many people leaving New York City and also in California. It's just crazy. It's just a dangerous situation for any of these restaurants to be in. And police in Vietnam have confiscated an estimated 345,000 used condoms, which had been cleaned and recently. On Tuesday, Palantir gave guidance for the rest of the year, something companies are unable to do in traditional IPOs but is allowed in direct listings. For fiscal year 2020, Palantir said it anticipates revenue growth of 42%, to roughly $1.1 billion. Like many other highly valued tech companies before going public, Palantir has never really made a profit. For 2019, it reported a net loss of $579.6 million, about the same as in 2018. The first half of 2020 showed improvement with a $164 million loss compared with a 274 million deficit in the same period in 2019. Some potential investors say that even if they find the company's voting structure gregarious, they think Palantar will keep growing and the stock will go up over time. The structure of a direct listing typically allows existing shareholders and employees to sell most or all of their shares immediately rather than wait for the mandated lockup of 180 days in most traditional IPOs. Palantar is taking steps to limit the supply of stock on the market by only allowing existing holders to sell 20% of their shares into early next year. That scarcity could serve to bolster the stock price. Even after a run-up, Palantar's stock could start trading around where it raised funding five years ago. Since it was founded in 2003, Palantar has raised more than $3 billion dollars and became one of the highest-valued startups when the 2015 funding round put its valuation at $20 billion. At an online event today, Daniel Ek, the founder of Spotify, said he would invest 1 billion euros, or 1.2 billion US dollars, of his personal fortune in deep tech. Moonshot projects spread across the next 10 years. Eck indicated that he was referring to machine learning, biotechnology, materials sciences, and energy as the sectors he'd like to invest in. I want to do my part. We all know that one of the greatest challenges is access to capital, Eck said, adding he wanted to achieve a new European dream. I get really frustrated when I see European entrepreneurs Entrepreneurs giving up on their amazing visions, selling early on to non-European companies. When some of the most promising tech talent in Europe leaves because they don't feel valued here, X said. We need more super companies that raise the bar and can act as an inspiration. According to Forbes, Eck is worth $3.6 billion dollars which would suggest he's putting aside roughly a third of his own wealth for the investments. And it would appear his personal cash will be deployed with the help of a close confident, confidant of X. He retweeted a post by Shaquille Khan, one of the first investors in Spotify, who said it's time to come out of the retirement then. During a fireside chat held by the Slush Conference, he said, 
We all know that one of the greatest challenges is access to capital, and that is why I'm sharing today that I will devote one billion euros of my personal resources to enable the ecosystem of builders. He said he would do this by funding so-called moonshots, focusing on the deep technology necessary to make a significant positive dent, and work with scientists, entrepreneurs, investors, and governments to do so. He expressed his desire to level up Europe against the U.S. in terms of tech unicorns. Europe needs more super companies, both for the ecosystem to develop and thrive. But I think more importantly, if we're going to have any chance to tackle the infinity, infinitely complex problems that our societies are dealing with at the moment, we need different stakeholders, including companies, governments, academic institutions, nonprofits, and investors of all kinds, to work together. He also expressed his frustration at seeing European entrepreneurs giving up on their amazing visions by selling very early in the process. We need more super companies to raise the bar and can act as an inspiration. There's lots and lots of really exciting areas where there are tons of scientists and entrepreneurs right now around Europe. X said he will work with scientists, investors, and governments to deploy his funds. A 1.2 billion dollar fund would see him competing with other large European VCs, such as Atomico, Balderton Capital, Excel Index Ventures, and North Zone. Eck has been previously known for his interest in deep tech. He has invested in 16 million euros in Swedish telemedicine startup Cry K R Y. He's also put three million euros into H J N. Severge, which is S V E R I G E, an artificial intelligence company in the health tech arena. Check out fortyandbox.com to master your money, and feel free to give your thoughts below. Feel free to share this with someone that you think finds any of these interesting, right? And that's pretty much it. Now you can also get a. Free stock worth up to five hundred dollars down below by joining Robinhood and linking a bank account. You can automate your investing with Acorns as well. And if you want to learn how to make money online, go down below and watch the free training.